Welcome to the Dr. Gabrielle Lyon Show, where I believe a healthy world is based on transparent conversations. In today's episode, I have a very lively conversation with Dr. Mary Claire Haver. She is a certified menopause specialist through the Menopause Society. She is board certified in obstetrics and gynecology. She is a wealth of knowledge on everything, perimenopause, menopause, and hormones. She was a clinical professor at UTMB and the University of Texas Health Science Center at Houston, which is a phenomenal institution. In fact, that's where some of the early protein research came out of. In 2021, she opened Mary Claire Wellness, which is a clinic dedicated to caring for the menopausal patient. And because of that, she has gained so much knowledge. She has a very large social platform and her mission is to change the conversation around menopause. She has a new book that will be released in the spring of 2024 called The New Menopause. And I have to tell you, I loved talking to Dr. Mary Claire. And in this episode, we discuss, is it safe to use hormone therapy or not? Who should use it and who shouldn't? What supplements should be used during hormonal transition phases, whether it is perimenopause or menopause? And finally, the top three tips to support your hormonal transitions. As always, if you like the show, please, please take a moment to like, subscribe, leave a rating. I do this as a labor of love. The goal is to bring you the experts whom I respect and I think are really adding to the conversation and changing the voice and direction of medicine. Thank you to Paleo Valley for sponsoring this episode of the show. Eating right doesn't have to be hard, but you do have to be prepared. This is one reason why I love Paleo Valley beef sticks. Incredible. One of my favorite snacks. My kids love these. Their beef sticks are 100% grass-fed, grass-finished, and are high in omega-3 fatty acids, vitamins and minerals, glutathione, CLA, and most importantly, a source of bioavailable protein that tastes great. They ferment their sticks, which creates naturally occurring probiotics, which are not just great for muscle health, but great for gut health. These taste incredible. They are a great snack for on the go, throw it in your bag, take it on a trip. There's no excuse not to eat healthy. The only excuse that you have is if you are unprepared. Head on over to paleovalley.com and use the code Dr. Lion for 15% off. That is paleovalley.com and use the code Dr. Lion for 15% off these incredible tasting beef sticks. Okay, friends, I know that you've kicked off the new year. And when we think about the new year, you think about all the changes, whether it is fat loss, muscle gain, becoming a better and more resilient person. Everybody sets goals. 
Let's all get together and set standards. Join me for the first ever Forever Strong Summit, January 13th and 14th in Austin, Texas. Go to the website, foreverstrongsummit.com. That's foreverstrongsummit.com. This summit is for everybody. It is for people that want to learn about working out, for people that know how to work out, for people that love science, for people that love mindset, whatever it is that you are looking for. At the end of the day, it is all about global strength. Please join me in person for the first ever live event. Thank you to Air Doctor for sponsoring this episode of the show. I'm so excited to have partnered with Air Doctor. I have been using Air Doctors for many years for air health. We talk a lot about exercise. We talk a lot about nutrition, but the air that you breathe and being in an environment that is free of allergens, pollens, pet dander, dust mites, mold spores, sick building syndrome is a very real thing. If you are someone who does not feel like they have the energy that they should, it potentially could be from your environment. I love the Air Doctor. It filters out almost all of the dangerous contaminants. We're talking 99.99% of contaminants. Air Doctor does a fantastic job. It has a 30-day breathe easy money back guarantee. If you don't love it, you can send it back for a refund. Head on over to airdoctorpro.com and use the code DRLION. You'll receive, get ready, up to $300 off air purifiers. This is exclusive to my podcast listeners. You will receive a free three-year warranty on any air purifying unit. And that's an additional value of $84. Head on over to airdoctorpro.com and use the promo code Dr. Lion. You will be so glad that you did. Make sure you have one air doctor in your office and one in your bedroom. All right. Mary Claire Hafer. Haver. Haver. Uh, I'm really excited to chat with you. All things menopause. This is probably one of the most requested and common topics that we get over here, and you certainly are the expert. How long have you been in OBGYN? Um, I started my residency in 1998, 1998. So, and I've been just focused on menopause care in practice since 2021. I opened my menopause clinic, and then, but I've really been just digging deep since about um, about eight years. So. Okay. And it's interesting that you say that you've really been digging deep because what that says to me is that in traditional OBGYN residency and teaching that potentially hormonal replacement therapy and and really managing hormones is not the standard of care in a way that potentially would focus on optimization. Would you say that that's right? That's 100% correct. So in my roles um, in my traditional OBGYN career, I was also a program director. So I was in charge of the education of the residents for about 10 years off and on while I was delivering babies and teaching medical students and all the other things an academic professor does. And, you know, looking back on that, when we do obstetrics and gynecology, we have 
probably 55 to 60%, depending on the program, is devoted to obstetrics, which is important. And everything else gets shoved into the gynecology box. So that's going to include pediatric gynecology, oncology, so cervical cancer, uterine cancer, vulvar cancer, um, our reproductive endocrinology, so, you know, getting people pregnant, some of the endocrine disorders associated with, and then so menopause is just this tiny little sliver. We did not have, and there's not many throughout the country, menopause-focused clinics. It just kind of got lumped in with gynecology. In medical school, I think I had one hour of lecture, if you had the same, you know, uh, focused just on menopause, and it was just the briefest overview. And and then in residency, it really was kind of, we might have had six hours and four years of training of lectures devoted particularly to menopause. And my last year of training was when the Women's Health Initiative was released, which basically stopped the 90% of prescriptions for hormone replacement therapy for all women. And it just left this whole generation of women without the option of hormone replacement therapy. Let's let's talk about that. The Women's Health Initiative came out what twenty some years ago, and probably twenty three is a, an example. Twenty three years ago, and that is an example of what really can change the narrative when something gets enough press and people don't dive into the literature and question what is being tested and what is then being extrapolated about that. Can you mention a little bit about for our listeners who don't know anything about the Women's Health Initiative, what it is, what the outcomes uh, have been and where it now has put us? So um, the Women's Health Health Initiative was really exciting. Um, We knew from anecdotal evidence and from observational studies that women who were on hormone replacement therapy actually had a lower incidence of cardiovascular disease and uh, death from cardiovascular disease. We knew that their bones were stronger. We knew that their general urinary systems would be more protected against um, atrophy and other diseases associated with that. But the focus of the study was really to see, use a randomized, like the gold standard, randomized, controlled, placebo-controlled study um, of thousands of women, you know, where they divided the women into hormone replacement therapy in the form of estrogen or progesterone versus placebo if they had a uterus. And if they didn't have a uterus, usually because of hysterectomy, they were given estrogen only with no progesterone. Um, Now, we give progesterone. It's mandatory when you're giving estrogen when you have a uterus because it needs to protect the lining of the endometrium, and it's optional for women who don't have it. So that being clear. So the study, they recruit these patients. There's, it's a you know, multi-million dollar study. It's the first we first focused on women in menopause, true study that had ever been done. Like finally we're getting money devoted to us. Finally we're, you know, and so when they chose the ages of patients, the outcome of the study was not breast cancer occurrence. It was heart disease. That was what they were looking for. Breast cancer plus or minus was just a secondary finding. And so the the average age of the patient was 63 years old in the study. So it's not your typical menopausal patient. So they were taking women who at 63 average likely had already been on the path to heart disease or on the path to breast cancer. And now we're going to give them hormone replacement therapy. And so they started recruiting patients, I think in 1995. And I think the studies began in in the late nineties, you know, when they actually started giving them the hormones versus placebo. And what they found was 
in this particular population, the women who were given estrogen plus progesterone had a relative risk increase of breast cancer of about 25%. So they just, the, the, the authors got together, some of the authors, not even all of them, got together and decided to halt the study. They held a press conference at the Watergate Hotel in the ballroom, invited every national news outlet. This is before social media, right? So this is in 2002 and said, estrogen causes breast cancer. All of the authors didn't even have a chance to review the data. The doctor, you know, like, like we were getting phone calls, like, oh my God, what's going on? Because ABC News, NBC News, this was the biggest health report in, in 2002. It was the number one news story for health. And the, the headline screamed, estrogen causes breast cancer. Well, the estrogen only arm kept going because they didn't have an increased risk of breast cancer. They stopped it about two and a half years later. And so... But the narrative continued. People were terrified. You know, now since that time, there's been multiple studies that have come out that have looked at the data, reanalyzed it, reworked it. And we now know, but it hasn't been publicized, which is just befuddling me, that the women who were on estrogen only actually had a relative decreased risk of breast cancer. And it seems like it was the progestogen, the Provera, that was the the link to to slightly increasing the risk. So relative risk from you and I understand the statistics and they still, I have to really think hard about it, you know, um, doesn't mean absolute risk. And absolute risk was still very, 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 very small. And, but everyone was so terrified, including the physicians, because we weren't even given the study to review on our own until it came out months later. Um, but everyone was off and everyone was terrified and the narrative remains estrogen causes breast cancer. I get questions on social media every single day. My doctor says, no, my doctor says it's going to give me a heart attack. My doctor says it's going to give me breast cancer. We know that American Heart Association came out in 2020 saying women who start estrogen in, you know, estrogen replacement with or without progesterone. It's a protective effect. So there's something called the healthy cell hypothesis where- What is it called again? The, what is it? The healthy cell hypothesis. So estrogen the healthy is cell better hypothesis. at- Yeah, estrogen is better at prevention than cure. The longer your body is without estrogen, either exogenous, meaning hormone replacement therapy, or natural, the higher your risk of not only cardiovascular disease, death from cardiovascular disease, from um, stroke- from diabetes, from hypertension, from muscle mass loss, sarcopenia, from uh, which we're going to talk about. And um, I mean, it's really astounding. So when you have a very protective benefit of estrogen therapy, when you start young, when you start early in your menopausal journey, including perimenopause. And, and so can you, can that, you kind of touch on... Um, the age. So basically, when oh, gosh. we think about menopause, it's this magical time that all of a sudden oh. you haven't had a period, but perimenopausal so, symptoms and probably the ebbs and flows happen uh, significantly earlier than that last period. One of my biggest frustrations is how we define menopause. It's completely arbitrary in medicine that you must go a year without a period before you're menopausal. Your menopause ovarian depletion begins in your 30s. And it may not be clinically significant until your 40s, but your ovaries are not the same. The, the, the 
We're born with all of our eggs. That's just the way we were made. And that quality and quantity decreases from birth. Actually, it starts decreasing in utero. We have our max ovarian levels of gonads. It seems like a little bit of a design flaw, but okay. Right. At five months in utero, I can't fix that. You know, and so at birth, they start the function, the quality and the quantity begin to decline. Our body doesn't notice it until we reach a certain threshold. Mm -hmm. So by the time that we are 30, we're down to about 10% of our egg supply. And by the time we're 40 on average, we're down to about 3%. And the quality Mm -hmm. of those eggs is declining rapidly. And with that, the quality of of our ovarian estrogen production is declining. And because our bodies react so differently to estrogen decline, where I might have hot flashes, Gabby, you may have night sweats, you may have sleep disruption, I may have musculoskeletal issues, you may have general urinary syndrome. We've, I mean, in my book, we've identified about 70 symptoms associated with estrogen depletion. And so the earlier we counteract this, not only symptomatically, the bothersome symptoms are going to get better, but your overall health status is going to get better as well. I love that. And uh, again, that is not routinely talked about. And typically the standard is that what we hear about is you do not start estrogen specifically, estrogen therapy until someone is in menopause. That it, some for some reason it is dangerous for a menstruating or intermittently menstruating woman to start estrogen. And what I'm hearing from you is that that is in fact not what the literature says. That is not no. helpful. And in fact, estrogen is protective. Is there, um, so I guess for the clinicians listening, so we have a whole range of individuals. We have a lay public, we have clinicians, we have people that are just very astute in science. Would you say that there is a, a starting dose? I mean, obviously we we look at labs, but have you found, because you've seen thousands of patients, have you found that there's a starting dose potentially of estradiol for women that they seem to do well with? And, and also what delivery system? So um, we don't know. Uh, I kind of, mm. there's no studies right now that are looking at specifically perimenopause and symptomatic control. Um, we just really have anecdotal and observational evidence. And so here's, I can tell you what I do. If a woman is still intermittently cycling, or even if she's cycling, you know, still having a monthly period, but she is clearly symptomatic, and I've done the blood work to rule out other conditions, okay? I've looked at her thyroid. I've looked at her nutritional status. I've looked at the labs I need to do to make sure that this is not masquerading as perimenopause. And it's a diagnosis of exclusion at that point. A one-time blood test is not great at diagnosing perimenopause. And so I just listen to the patient and believe her. Okay. I believe you. So for those patients, if she's having heavy periods, acne, you know, things that I think a higher dose are going to be well with controlling the heavy bleeding, controlling the acne, controlling, you know, some of the side effects, I will go with a higher dose, like in the birth control pill range of hormone therapy. Um, Because really the biggest difference between the birth control levels and the menopause hormone therapy levels is dose. Okay. And the formulation is very different. So we can talk about that later. But when we look at the continuum, birth control pills were developed to suppress ovulation so that she doesn't get pregnant, right? Menopause hormone therapy doses were developed to control hot flashes, basically. Where we need the levels for cardiovascular protection, bone protection, muscle protection, 
those studies are kind of ongoing right now. We don't know. There's some pretty yeah, good on osteoporosis where it's really, really low, but is that enough to protect your brain? Right. So, so we, those studies, you know, are really kind of starting to explode right now. And I'm very excited. So if someone is cycling yet needs symptomatic control due to other conditions, I would go with a higher dose. Okay. If she's cycling and her periods are fine, she feels fine, you know, other than disruptive hot flashes, night sweats, I may shore her up with a very low dose estradiol and and a hundred milligram oral micronized progesterone. That's my lowest dose that I'll go with for that. Um, I tend to stick with the FDA versions because of cost and I know they work and I know they've been studied. I do go outside and do, um, I will compound if they need it. If I can't find or try do a V, they're not tolerating progesterone. The rare patient really struggles with progesterone. So do a V is an FDA approved option, non-progestin, um, that they might tolerate, but it's very expensive or I'll, I'll get, I'll talk to my compounder and get him to, you know, we'll try some other options for there. I do compound testosterone for my patients on a regular basis because I can't find an FDA approved option that I can get a pharmacist to fill. <laughs> Same. So, um, yeah. I, I love what you're saying. I, I love what you're saying that basically the dose in a, uh, birth control pill is really, on the higher end and the mm-hmm. doses to control menopausal symptoms are on the lower end. It's probably somewhere in between and the that that scale. really hasn't been the, the sliding scale, which is, which is fascinating. Have you found, you know, in, in my clinical practice, we treat menopause and we do a lot of patches and things. And mm-hmm. I really like the patch because Same. it can be covered under insurance. We do know that it is standardized. Do you have a delivery system and also the oral micronized progesterone? Do you like the patch as well uh, versus potentially a cream? I do. Um, you know, I, I love the patch because it's continuous dosing and they get this beautiful steady state. So I, I feel like they're covered. I have five strengths that I can go to for her. Um, and so if she's super symptomatic and very early in her menopause, I'm going higher dose patch, you know, is, is where I'm going to start. The 0.75, maybe the 0.1. The problem is it stops at 0.1 and I do have patients who need more. So either we're doing two patches and I've got to write a letter to the pharmaceutical, you know, to their insurance company, which is no problem. That's my job. Um, or we might end in a very, very small dose oral. The reason why I tend to go towards the patch is when we ingest anything orally, we have a first pass effect of the liver. And when that estrogen hits the liver, we do see a bump in in clotting factors. And so eight out of 10,000 women will have a blood clot who would not have, uh, according to the latest research. Um, and, And there's some pretty good studies that are showing that it lower, the transdermal lowers overall inflammation versus oral. Now there are some benefits to oral, especially for in some small of the lipid numbers, but it's not you know, when I look at the overall picture, I really go towards the patch for the ma- the vast majority of my patients. Now, I, if she's got an allergic that. to the adhesive, you know, some patients have an allergic reaction to the adhesive, then I'm, I'm looking at compounding a cream or maybe trying oral for her. Hmm. And how long, if the dose is high enough, one of the questions that we get a lot is how fast should someone have resolution of symptoms? If it is, let's say, hot flashes, mood, brain fog, how quick will we see a turnaround of symptoms? So hot flash is the best I can go with because it's really clear to, you know, hot flash is yes or no. Brain fog is a little tougher to to quantify. Um, But hot flashes, I always say, if we're not better in four weeks, because I know it... 
of course, we always go to our own experience. It was a solid three weeks for me. I remember at week two going, is this going to work? You know, do I need a higher dose? And all of a sudden at week three, I was sleeping through the night. And so I tell my patients, let's give it four weeks. You know, we have to upregulate these receptors. It's a process. It took you a while to get here. It's going to take us a while to fix it. Um, and I know that when I went from, I started on combi patch, which I loved. It was a great, so convenient. I didn't have to remember to take anything at night, you know, a secondary pill, but the study out of France, they looked at 80,000 women and they looked at the different progestins and association with, with neoplasia and the oral micronized progesterone had the least association. It was small, but it was there. And with so much cancer in my family, I just thought, you know what, I'm going to err on the side of, of being cautious here. And, um, and I like having that bump of progesterone at night. Um, so I switched to the oral micronized progesterone. So when I did that, I went from a combi patch, the 0.5 to a 0.5 estradiol patch. I started flashing within the month. And so I always warn my patients when we're switching from one modality to the other, your body may absorb it differently. Like just be aware, let me know what your symptoms are. We may need to go up on your dose again or down. And from a, a, and from a safety standpoint, really the, um, the issue with oral estrogens is just that slight bump in clotting factor. Now, my, I have a a question for you. And I think a lot of physicians and, and probably patients are also wondering this is they typically say, do not start any kind of hormonal treatment therapy if you are 10 years postmenopause. And the way that I read into that is um, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone seems to, uh, physicians will prescribe that whether they're 10 years post or not, but could you speak Mm -hmm. to where the evidence uh, of that is and if in fact you feel that that is a reasonable recommendation or we should reconsider that? Uh, I definitely think we should reconsider it on a case-by-case basis. And I don't think it should be a blanket recommendation for everyone. We know that if you start hormone replacement therapy within 10 years of your menopause, you will have cardiovascular protection and some neuroprotection, at least within five years from neurodementia. So um, we lose some of that benefit as we age. The longer your body goes without estrogen, the higher these risks are going to go up and estrogen may not be helpful. And in advanced cases of these diseases, it certain forms of estrogen might be harmful. And so again, so when I have a patient who's estrogen been menopausal for greater than 10 years and never had the benefit of HRT, was never offered to her, or she was scared or you know, very legitimate reasons, but is curious and wants to know. We look at her cardiovascular history, her family history. I get a full lipid panel. I get ApoB. I get, you know, I, I try to dig as deep as I can. I sometimes recommend a cardiac, you know, if, if her levels are up, we get a calcium score. So a cardiac calcium score to see. And if she's low risk, I'm like, hey, you're probably going to benefit from this. I can't promise you anything. The studies really weren't done past this level. But if I do know it's going to protect your bones. I do know it's going to protect your genital urinary system. It's probably going to protect your muscles and several other organ systems. And if you want to consider this, I think it's reasonable. But again, this is a case-by-case basis. Same with neurodementia. I have patients who have a very significant family history of, of dementia young in their parents and who weren't given the option and are now 10, 15, 20 years past and we have decided for them that it might be too risky because, you know, the benefit for neuroprotection seems to be, and that is their biggest fear, 
You know, what can I do? So we're trying to maximize nutrition. I send them to Lisa Mosconi, you know, to read her books on the double X brain and, and the, uh, the, her new books coming out, the menopause brain, which oh, I'm so excited about. And so, <clears throat> you know, so really it is a case by case basis, but I have patients absolutely that I have started on estrogen containing hormone therapy past the age of, you know, past 10 years post menopause with all those boxes checked, you know, and knowing that we're going to review this every year. And could you, uh, where is the date, where does the data stand right now? Should an individual, you know, because the, the Women's Health Initiative, it seemed as if estrogen alone was okay. Where are we at now? Um, do we never give estrogen without progesterone? Is it age dependent? Is it uterine dependent? Where are we at with the, the combination therapy? So combo therapy, um, you know, it's mandatory with the uterus, but if you have a morena containing IUD, so your uterus is protected there, or you've had a hysterectomy, which is a huge percent of our, of our patient population, um, is progesterone optional? You know, at first I said, no, 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 you don't need it. But, you know, as the literature is expanding and as I'm talking to patients and myself, it's very helpful for sleep. It's very helpful for anxiety, especially racing thoughts at night. So there are some benefits here to continuous progesterone. Um, and so when I'm starting my patients, you know, I'm telling them, you know, either we're, if they're, if they're really sleep deprived, I'm like, let's try this now. We can always pull back or take it off, you know, but, but there's probably some benefit here that we haven't recognized, you know, that where all this kind of evolved was that estrogen was the hormone. It was the only thing we cared about, right? And we were just trying to stop hot flashes in menopause. It really, you know, we really weren't looking at everything else. So women, oh, and that Feminine Forever book, oh my God, who it was kind of a get your sexy <laughs> Wait, back. what is that? The Feminine Forever book? Oh my God. Okay. okay. I have never heard of that book. Oh my God. Wait, I think it was in well, the we're definitely movie. reading your book, but I, I've never heard of Feminine Forever. Okay. So the whole first wave of estrogen was this book, a New York physician, OB Jen, and it was called Feminine Forever. And he was giving estrogen alone to everyone. And man, they were feeling great. And it was kind of a get your wife back, like the husbands were reading it. And, and they were like, and look, they weren't having vaginal atrophy as much. So women were going for it. Husbands were getting their wives on it. All these women were just rushing to estrogen, which had benefits and they felt great. They were sleeping. I mean, yeah. Okay. But, you know, the whole premise was really ick. Instead of uh, from a health benefit, it was a, you know, get your wife back in bed with you benefit. Um, but what they found was a certain percentage of the population was developing an amitral hyperplasia and cancer from unopposed estrogen. Well, that's very fixable by giving a woman with the uterus progesterone. As long as you do that with the uterus, you're not going to increase her risk of an amitral hyperplasia or cancer. So... So then it was like, well, only if you have a uterus do you need this progesterone. Well, it has benefits and can be taken very, very safely. Um, there are multiple progestogens on the market. So, so let's kind of touch on that. So we have progesterone, which is what our body makes naturally, right? And then we have progestins, which are chemically synthesized in the lab, which are converted to progesterones. They bind to the receptor. They actually work really great. Um, but especially Provera, which is medroxyprogesterone acetate, that's the one that actually has a significant increased risk. You know, the absolute risk is low, but there is an increased risk with Provera versus an oral micronized progesterone or some of the, the transdermal progestins um, that are safer. 
And so in the WHI, they only study two hormones, pro, pro, excuse me, premarin, which is conjugated equine estrogen. So they do some pretty sketchy stuff to pregnant mares, um, pregnant horses, Gross. and uh, extract their urine. And, and then there's about 10 estrogen-esque uh, components to it. Uh, so premarin was used forever. That was the standard. At the time, it was not unreasonable for the WHI to use Premarin. That was the number one prescribed um, estrogen-containing product on the market. Um, and then the progesterone that they used was medroxyprogesterone acetate. It was cheap. It was easy. And at the time, there wasn't a progesterone that was easily absorbed through the gut. It had very low bioavailability. So we fixed that problem with the micronized progesterone. They've micronized it. It's absorbed. It works great. Okay, but it, that wasn't available when the WHI came out. So it's all very complicated and layered, but you know the FDA is still lumping all estrogens into one group and all progestogens into one group, when really these risks are stratified based on which ones we take. So in my practice, and most people I know that are practicing good menopausal medicine, we're pretty much sticking to estradiol and progesterone. We're trying to keep it as close to what the body made, and it turns out that those have the lowest association with risk than the more synthetic mm. options. Oh, that's interesting. And what is the difference between bioidentical and synthetic? So you have to think of it the way the body produces it. Um, there's a lot of misinformation and misunderstanding around the term body identical or bioidentical. So in the UK, they have body identical and bioidentical. <laughs> I choose to not go that, ro <laughs> that route here in the all. US. So <laughs> yeah. we have things that are made in the lab um, that bind to the same receptors as things that are processed in a lab, but have, but come from like a, a more natural product. So at the end of the day, you have to go to the lab to make all this stuff. You can't, I don't care what that woman says. You can't just rub yams on yourself and expect to have any clinical therapeutic benefit. Bless your heart. If, if you think that works for you, but, um, you might turn it orange, but other than that, save, your money. <laughs> save <your> money. <laughs> um, it takes a lot of processing in the lab. So so um, yams are used to make the, the micronized progesterone, um, but it's an intense chemical procedure to get it to something that your body can absorb on a, on a big, on a basis. Synthetic means they just start with background chemicals and they end up with, with something that will bind to an estrogen receptor. Those are not there. That is ethanol estradiol typically, um, which is works great. Um, and is in most birth control pills. And so we have millions of women year data on birth control pills and their safety and efficacy. They're getting kind of a bad rap, I think for bad reasons, but, um, but I used them for years. I've used them for my patients to, to keep them from getting pregnant, to protect them from heavy bleeding, acne, different, you know, medical reasons. And I stand by them to this day. The ethanol estradiol is not my favorite menopause hormone therapy dose because we don't have any data on it. Um, I stick with estradiol. It's it's just really helpful to hear you talk about this and, and break a lot of this down. Uh, I know that everybody listening is going to want to have you back on. Um, in terms of the changes that uh, individuals expect to see in their labs, you know, uh, you had mentioned that you do a pretty robust cardiovascular profile. You look mm -hmm. at lipids, you look at ApoB. What are some of the changes and why when estrogen declines? Do we see these changes in lipid profiles? Um, so we see a dr 
pretty significant increase, probably 80, 75, 80% of my patients will have an unexplained increase in their LDLs and a decrease in their HDLs. So their protective cholesterol goes down and their, their you know, bad cholesterol, including the, the micronized particles go up. Um, and so it's very frustrating for my patients. They are furious. I've done nothing. I've done nothing different. I've not changed my diet and exercise. I've been eating the same. And there's a huge subset of, of doctors who are out there wanting to immediately put them on statins. And I understand the reasoning for that. But when the American Heart Association said it loud and clear, statins do not, in a woman, do, yes, in a man, they do help decrease their risk of cardiovascular disease and death from cardiovascular disease, but they do not, in a woman, the most effective therapy for decreasing your risk of cardiovascular disease and death is early hormone replacement therapy. Thank you to Inside Tracker for sponsoring this episode of the show. Inside Tracker is an incredible service that allows you to see what is going on within your body. We must be able to look at data points. It's not just about how you feel, but it is about where is your insulin? Where is your iron? Where is your ApoB? These are all markers that are available through Inside Tracker and tell us very important information about how you are doing. Go to insidetracker.com slash Dr. Lion. My listeners get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. It's incredible. Inside Tracker analyzes your blood, your DNA, syncs with your fitness tracking data to identify areas where you can improve. If you guys have not gotten your yearly blood work, you know that I recommend at least, at least once a year, you know what is happening. So if you are on the fence and you have not done it, head on over to insidetracker.com slash Dr. Lion, and you can choose from a full array of products. Thank you to Element for sponsoring this episode of the show. I love Element. I love it because it keeps me well hydrated. It helps me with muscle cramps, fatigue. You know, sometimes I think I'm hungry, but I'm actually thirsty. And it is amazing to rehydrate with not just water. Because let's face it, when you sweat, you're not sweating out water. You need the sodium, the potassium, the magnesium, and you don't need any of the junk. That's exactly what. Element provides. It's formulated to help anybody and everyone with their electrolyte needs. It is going to suit any diet plan. It tastes incredible. There are at least eight different flavors. And depending on the season, they also have certain chocolate flavors. Right now, Element is offering my listeners a free sample pack with any purchase. That's eight single serving packets free with any element order. This is a great way to try all eight flavors and share it with your friends. Drink LMNT, that's drinkelement.com slash Dr. Lion. And this deal is only available through my link. So head on over to drinklmnt.com slash Dr. Lion, and you will get a no questions asked refund if you don't like it. That means you can try it totally risk-free. Early and, and it's not the standard of care right now, no. right? And it's not the standard of care. No, so uh, women, 
<laughs> you will go and you will see these changes in lipids and you would think that the initial response because the one thing that is different is the the decrease in estrogen but again that is not considered the standard of care which is a mistake it's a mistake i think the the aha clearly says it but all it takes so long for the standard of care to change and i'm not willing to wait i'm not willing to let my patients suffer when i can intervene the best way i know how I love that so about you, Mary Claire. I just, I just have so much <laughs> respect for you. Um, let me ask you this: in terms of dosing, um, I'd love for you to speak on a way of thinking about it collectively. So, when we're dosing estrogen, are we also thinking about are we seeing an improvement in the lipid profile? Are we seeing a particular change in FSH? Could you speak to that? Are we looking for that at a certain number? What is it? You know, as we're guiding therapy, assuming that a woman is beginning to feel better, uh, I have I can think of one patient. She feels better on a very low dose estrogen, and I'm continuously encouraging her to potentially increase her dose because I'd like to see a change in her lipid profile. But um, we're not there yet, so I'm curious mm -hmm. as to where you look for particular markers, uh, specifically. Um, not insulin, uh, FSH, these lipid profiles. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I'm not, I'm not following FSH long-term in my patients. Symptomatically, I'm following symptoms. Does she feel better, et cetera? Like you, I use a toolkit when I'm treating my patients. And so hormone therapy is one small tool in the toolkit. We are going hard on nutrition, hard on exercise, hard on stress reduction, hard on sleep optimization. All of this must work together. If I'm just relying on hormone therapy, I'm doing a disservice to my patients. And so when I see a resolution and supplementation, so when a patient comes in with elevated cholesterol, I'm talking about increasing fiber in her diet, considering something like berberine. You know, we, we take a look at her nutritional profile. We look at exercise. We look at um, her sleep patterns, you know, and then we're following the lipids throughout overall. and then. So I'm at this point, I haven't, again, my pay, my clinic started in 2021. So I'm only, right. we're at year two right now. And um, I haven't increased estrogen dose based on lipids yet. I have seen a dramatic <laughs> improvement, but it takes the toolkit. You know, it's not right. just HRT. Yeah. Um, you know, I haven't either, but I, I always think, you know, is there a way that we could better target just these cardioprotective um, mechanisms with very specific dosing or levels. And again, it's interesting, you don't follow FSH. Uh, and I think that that's very telling for a lot of people that it, it truly is about how the individual feels and then mm -hmm. um, potentially secondary outcomes or a secondary markers that we're looking at. Do you look at a progesterone estrogen ratio? There's a lot of discussion about that. Do you look at these ratios? In perimenopause? I personally... No. Yes. <laughs> I don't either. So, Finally, somebody no. says no. Uh, no. I talked to a lot of experts and they were always, what they'll always the tell me that they look you? at this. I'm like, no, my God, okay, no. I, I feel very, I feel very supported in this moment because uh, people will say, well, don't you look at these ratios? And I'm thinking, no. uh, first of all, the half-life of What day of the so cycle low, are you? You know, if they understood anything about ovarian endocrinology. So, so, the term estrogen dominance has become a darling of profiteers who are stepping so far out of the scope of their practice. And 
really are. We're laughing. I'm laughing because it's so true. So true. Leveraging pseudoscience to sell whatever supplement they're trying to. Now, this is a doctor who sells supplements right here. So full disclosure. I, it just befuddles me like that. And God bless these women. We have this entire vulnerable subset of our population, which is every single woman over the age of 35, who doesn't know where to turn, who is desperate, who is miserable, who is suffering, who is on this path to an earlier death with lower quality of life, who is just trying to do her best, who is falling prey to this. And I am sick of it. I'm all for, we're all learning, Gabby. I learned through you. You learn from me. I mean, this is the wild west. Okay. But there are practitioners out there who are talking the most nonsense, nonsensical. And at this point, I am not checking estrogen progesterone ratios. I am just treating the right. patient. I yes. know what's happening. Yes. And so I just listen, you guys. her and treat her. Sorry. I'm not- so listen, I think this is what this, this really comes down to is that, um, you know, there's all these complicated protocols. If people are making it really complicated, and I, I think that I'm speaking to both the provider and the patient, if you are going to a provider that is making things incredibly complicated, changing your dosing every third day, all of these weird protocols, then I, in my professional opinion, this is not the right provider. Things do not right. have to be complicated to be effective. You don't need these very fancy ratios. You do have to understand what are your baseline levels? How are they improving? How is this person mm-hmm. feeling? Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I absolutely uh, agree with Mary Claire. There's a lot of um, predatory-esque behavior, potentially very uh, well-meaning individuals that are creating a narrative that is ultimately confusing and very poor science. And that is not intellectual And I think integrity. it's ultimately you harmful. have to understand that. I think it's, it's, it's very, very expensive. Let, let's, let's be frank. And menopause care doesn't have to be complicated yes. or expensive. Yes. Yes. Let's talk just, about hair loss and perimenopause. <laughs> or menopause. I'm touching my hair. Can we talk about that, please? What? Oh, what? Yeah. What is a woman to do? What are some of these treatments? Are we talking about minoxidil? Are we talking about topical? Um, are we talking about spironolactone, what is a woman to do when all of a sudden she runs her hair through her formerly gorgeous locks and all of a sudden the drain is clogged and it looks like there is Mr. It? Right. So there is an aging component to hair loss that, you know, we're getting older and our hair follicle structure is changing, but there's definitely a hormonal component as well. There's a nutritional component that could be there. Vitamin deficiencies can cause it. Um, Hyperhypothyroidism can cause it. Like hair loss is complicated. So one, you know, your physician should dive in to make sure we're not missing something else. And there could be, you could have multiple things that are causing this for you, right? Um, It may require a visit to a dermatologist. There's also infections and autoimmune disease and, you know, the list goes on and on. So Make sure that you're not rushing. You know, I think it's okay for most people to try Minoxidil over the counter. It's not harmful, the topical. Um, and then if that's not helping, you need to get in to see a specialist. Um, someone yeah. who, who, like you and I, who kind of dive into this or a dermatologist to help rule out mm-hmm. some of these other conditions. Okay, yeah. so. And I, and I topical think you're talking about. Sorry, we guys, we have a little bit of a delay in case you guys are hearing this on, on the opposite end. Yeah, go ahead. 
So, so go see someone who has some expertise in this area, um, but don't let them blow you off and say, well, there's nothing we can do because there's absolutely stuff that you can do. So um, you, what I wouldn't do is rush to do like PRP or any of these really expensive therapies and treatments until we know what's causing it, because this may not be that helpful to you. And you may, it may be a simple vitamin deficiency that needs to be corrected. So, so make sure that, you know, your vitamin D levels are adequate. You don't have an iron deficiency. Both of the, these are kind of the top two nutritional things that I go do a deep dive for there. Um, do we all need the expensive $90 a month vitamin? I don't think so. You know, I, do. I think it's, oh, you do $90. No. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, um, uh, see my, my mom jokes are, my mom jokes are coming in hot with the delay. And I just want to mention, I want to piggyback off of what she had mentioned. Iron, totally agree. Um, ferritin, I think I'd like to see above 75, certainly for hair growth. Uh, and we check a ceruloplasma. We check a a, a form oh. of copper in the blood. And that definitely can relate to hair loss. But I, I just wanted to mention oh, that, that and uh, was sad about my mom joke, falling flat. <laughs> um, so... <laughs> Um, and then hormonally, what can we do? So there are hormones that can contribute to hair loss when you receive excessive amounts of it, or so we have to talk about steroid hormone binding globulin. So SHBG is a protein created in the liver, and it is the car that our sex hormones ride in when they float through the bloodstream. Okay. And when they're in the car, they're inactive. They don't work very well. Um, but they're, they're just bound you know, so they can float around. So your overall levels may not change, but your the activity of those levels may change. So testosterone is bad for hair, for female, because high, high, the higher your testosterone level, three, the more likely you are to have acne and male pattern baldness and, you know, attaching to the, you know, so this is the hair loss here on the sides, typically. Um, when your part's getting wider in the middle, that is more of a female, oh God, my hair, uh, a female, it's very dry here, a female pattern type of hair loss. So, and those are treated very differently. So if you are someone who is noticing new, this male pattern here, which happened to me and, a little and bit. And for I those of you who are, uh, sorry, and for those of you who are not watching and listening, she's uh, addressing her temples. temples uh, so basically yeah. a, ma- a male pattern baldness would be the, the, temple uh, recession. And by the way, I will say some individuals are sensitive to testosterone, whereas other women, you know, I have, I have women on testosterone, they are not sensitive at all. Maybe they have low DHT receptors, but you guys, it, you will know nearly immediately if you are one of those individuals. And she was also mentioning the top, the widening part, that's female pattern baldness. Right. In general. Yeah. And you can have both. So, um, so, when I have a patient who comes to me or she's on testosterone and she's seeing some loss here, we're going to try to decrease that dose. Okay. When we go through menopause, our estrogen levels decline and estrogen kind of stimulates the production of that binding hormone. So we see more activity of our androgens. And so just going through menopause can contribute to male pattern baldness because your testosterone level hasn't changed that much. And it may have even declined the overall level, but the activity of that level has increased. And if you're one of those women who is sensitive to the DHT or has high DHT receptors, then you're going to see that. Acne is another thing. Uh, the, you're growing hair where you don't want it and you're 
your um she means losing the, hair the chin the st- chin <laughs> the stray eyebrow hair on your chin let me ask you this what do you ever recommend spironolactone because i've i've mm-hmm. looked in the literature and i feel extremely torn about it i'm going to tell you why so you can really help redirect my thinking mm-hmm. um yeah. so spironolactone has been used at 100 to 200 milligrams for acne for hair loss and I in the literature it seems mixed. So some of it will say it is um, primarily addressed in the receptors. So whether it is and it doesn't have a significant systemic response, because the last thing that I want to do is tank someone's testosterone. Testosterone. Um, so I would love for you to educate me. Is it okay? Will it reduce a woman's blood level of testosterone where potentially she might? have an impact on her sex drive, et cetera, versus just her hair or skin? So again, the jury is still out. We know it helps with acne and we know it helps with with hair loss, but at what cost? And so you might be sacrificing your desire and drive um, because we are lowering the activity of the the ability of testosterone to bind to the receptor. We're not sure. It doesn't seem like it's lowering your blood levels of testosterone. It's lowering its ability to function. And so women on long-term spironolactone, so Kelly Casperson with You Are Not Broken is really my kind of go-to for this kind of stuff. And we're seeing like clitoral atrophy, decreased sensation in the area of women on long-term spironolactone. And mm. so for those patients who are doing well on it, otherwise they're using topical testosterone to try to build, a, you know, in the clitoral area, in the vulva to try to help build that mm-hmm. tissue back up. But again, you're, you're like fixing, you're robbing Peter to pay Paul in some of these conditions. Right. So now I'm moving more towards an oral minoxidil for my patients. Um, what to dose do you like to, be, to utilize? Oh, so the studies have gone up to five. I'm a little scared. Yep. <laughs> so I start so with one. Use, I, I can share. <laughs> Thank you to First Form for sponsoring this episode of the show. You should support your foundational health. One way to do that is, yes, diet and exercise. Another way to do that is to give your body an effective dose of essential vitamins, minerals, and nutrients so that you have great energy levels, good immune health, a good metabolism, heart, brain function, and all of the things. That is why I love. Micro Factor. It comes in a very easy to travel with, which this is important because we are all so busy. And when I say travel, it doesn't mean you have to get on a plane, but if you are running to the gym or running to the office, First Form has a great little pack that has antioxidants, CoQ10, essential fatty acids, and a fruit and veggie tab, a multivitamin, all of the things that you need to live a healthy life. They've done a fantastic job at putting together this formulation. Head on over to firstform.com slash Dr. Lion, and you will get free shipping in the US for orders of $75 or more. We, We start low, but we typically land on around three milligrams for women. Okay. We have found okay. around I'm starting three with milligrams one, it's something new <laughs> that I'm trying because I'm I'm getting you know, so many of my patients are ending up on testosterone due to not only the, the, the sexual wellness benefits, but the sleep, <laughs> the mental clarity, you know, the brain fog, it seems to be helpful across the board. And 
I am just going right off, you know, I'm going off the, off, off the recommendations and I'm using it for my patients who have low muscle mass. I'm going, I'm going for it. So, um, I have an ability in my clinic to measure muscle mass. I we're, I can't afford the DEXA yet I'm getting there, but I'm do, I have the in-body scan. I have the medical grade. And so I feel like it's a pretty good, um, substitute for a DEXA. And when I'm seeing their muscle mass ranges less than 90th percentile, I'm, you know, off label recommending testosterone for that as well. Uh, so, I think that that is a great choice and you know, but- I wasn't on it. Yeah. Okay. I I've lived, I've been skinny my whole life. I don't have high muscle mass and I'm fighting, fighting, fighting. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to try it. Added benefit did not expect my drive to increase. I didn't think I had a problem. I thought we were okay. We're just a normal married for 30 years couple. And um, huh, seems like there's a little more interest in that area at our house and everyone's happy. So I was like, it was like a, a bonus. You know, I, I would not have classified myself as hypoactive sexual desire disorder. No one is swinging mm. from the chandeliers of my house, but it's Allegedly. better. And yeah. <laughs> so that has been something I didn't realize. And so I tell my patients this, you know, um, and everyone's happy. So I, I absolutely love that. And I think eventually for muscle mass, they are going to make something called a D3 creatine available. And it's a deuterated creatine. You'll take a pill, you'll pee it out, you'll be able to measure it, and you'll be able to actually see exactly how much muscle mass an individual has. Um, and it's oh, been validated. Be it's just not available. Yes, yes. It's just not um available to practitioners yet. And I'm, I'm really hoping that it will be in the next handful of years because that would be extraordinary. What about supplementation? Do you think that there's evidence to certain supplementation? I think for a very long time, people would talk about black cohosh. They would talk about shisandra berry. Is there evidence to support the utilization or history berry? Exactly. So when I have my toolkit for my patients, and we're looking across the spectrum. We've got to stop defining menopause by hot flashes and night sweats. I'm looking at her whole, I'm looking at every organ system for her. So when I'm talking about supplementation and what's what estrogen deprivation is doing to your body, number one supplement is going to be fiber. You know, women are on the struggle bus trying to get adequate amounts of fiber in their diet per day. The average American woman is getting 10 to 12. And we have great and why should they get fiber? Showing fiber. One, it decreases the absorption of the rate of absorption of glucose into our bloodstream. So it's going to stabilize our insulin levels better. Number two, it feeds our gut microbiome. And if you're not paying attention to the studies exploding around the gut, which was completely dismissed 10 years ago, and now it's everything, the health of our gut microbiome and how important it is to our mental health, how our heart functions, you know, the gut microbiome approaches that of a man. When you go through menopause, it totally changes. You know, the microbiome. I actually changes. did not know that. I had no idea. Yes. It's so I so potentially crazy. have a male gut microbiome. <laughs> no, I'm just if kidding. you don't replace, well, no, no. Oral, you know, oral estrogen. This is one of the places where oral estrogen might be better than than transdermal. We need a lot more studies. You know, I can see a a, a point where we have some very low dose oral estrogen with some transdermal. You know, 
we just need what, where I really see it going is we just need to extend the shelf life of the ovary. We got to figure out how to do that. And people are working on that. Um, that's the best way. Um, but I'm, I'm on so board. Estrogen, I'm on board. Maybe a little bit better for the gut microbiome because that's where it's heading. Mm-hmm. You know, that's where it goes first. And and there are an estrogen in the gut does change things. And so, you know, I'm not on it for that reason. I'm doing everything else to support my gut. Um, so fiber. Okay. I go off on so many tangents. I love all this stuff. Um, and oh, then I'll, I'll number two, two, I'm going to keep you uh, <laughs> on the tight and narrow. Um, I think that yeah. Number two supplement is vitamin D. Vitamin D, 85% of my patients are deficient in vitamin D. That hormone has receptors in every organ system of our body. It's just, it goes hand in hand with estrogen. And so you can safely supplement without words of toxicity, though you may need more, 4,000 international units a day. So my supplement I created for my patients and followers has 4,000 IU. I'm going to push it to the highest level that you can do safely. Mm -hmm. We throw in some omega with it and vitamin K for absorption. And so that I think most women should be on. It's almost impossible to get it naturally at our age due to decreased absorption through the gut. It is the rare patient I see who without supplementation has a normal vitamin D level. Um, Vitamin D helps with sleep, helps with cholesterol, helps with all the things. So we got to start with the basics. Um, As far as, you know, the claims of, you know, ashwagandha and, and all these phytoestrogens, Phytoestrogens can be helpful, but when the randomized controlled studies were looked at versus placebo, it's just kind of mixed. You might have the anecdotal patient who sees some relief, but it's not going to replace estradiol. And so I'm only having these discussions if a patient has an absolute contraindication to estrogen replacement. And then we're having to look for other ways to support her. But remember, ashwagandha is likely not going to support your brain or your bones or your general urinary system. It might help with hot flashes a little bit and maybe some brain fog. And let's mention one thing that I think is is crazy to think about is you as an individual could supplement with all of these things as long as they want. The reality is at some point, a woman is going to go through menopause. Menopause. No amount of mm-hmm. just right? No amount of ashwagandha, no amount of chase tree berry, no amount of any of these herbs, uh, vitamins, minerals, or nutrients are going to take away that biological change. Exactly. Um, It's just the way that it's going to be. Right. And we haven't figured out medically how to stop that process. And it begins at birth, you know? (laughs) And so we, one, we have to stop defining. I have so many sweet patients or followers who are like, but I never went through menopause. I didn't have any hot flashes. You know, we have to stop defining my periods just stopped. I'm like, well, great. Mm. You know, the lower super flashers have higher risk of cardiovascular disease and neurodementia. So that's wonderful for you. But it doesn't mean that in the background, your cholesterol profile is not, you know, starting to tank. You're losing muscle mass, I promise, if you're not doing something about it. You are, you know, all of these things are happening that are contributing to your decline. I'm not saying you're never going to die, but I'm saying that you want those last 10 years to be as functional as possible. And if you're not paying attention to what menopause is doing to your body, you're going to suffer more than you needed to. Yeah, um, absolutely true. Do, do you see that when women, now I know that this is not a treatment for body composition changes, is hormonal replacement therapy. It just currently is not. Do you see a change in the positive 
when individuals are going through perimenopause or menopause and they begin hormone replacement therapy, do you see an alteration and improvement in body composition with estrogen, yes. progesterone, testosterone? I do. I absolutely do. Again, I have a, a machine to measure it. Um, now, again, we all are also addressing nutrition and all the other things in the toolkit. So, but we, I am seeing dramatic decreases in visceral fat with my patients. And it's, it's, I don't know what's the biggest factor for them. And again, we have individual genetic expressions here and we're treating everything that we can at once. Um, but we know from observational studies that women who are given the option of HRT early, especially in perimenopause through their transition and into full menopause have lower visceral fat than women who were not. Mm. Where, do you think not the future, uh-huh. where do you think the future of menopause, uh, and hormone replacement therapy is going? Whew, so many ways. Um, I think, I hope that we're going to have more options for patients as far as dosages and delivery systems. What I would love to see is a vaginal ring that is affordable, that contains, that we have an estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone option. I guess number one is an FDA-approved option for testosterone for women. And I think that the safest and most... The problem with progesterone as it is, progesterone in its its natural form is the best way to give it to your body as, as far as we can tell. And we don't have a great non-oral option for that yet. But the progesterone molecule is huge and it's really difficult to get it to pass through the skin. So until we can find a micronized way to get it through the skin and get it to a sustainable level, then we're going to have to go with oral. So so I think the first step is an, an, an affordable estradiol ring. Because really, we're treating the vagina, the general urinary system, and systemically all in one. So you don't need a separate vaginal cream. Um, and then getting an FDA, I think top priority is getting an FDA-approved testosterone option for women. That's going to be number one. Mm. And then getting it into more formulations so we have more options to offer patients that are tolerable to them. And getting way more studies on other organ systems outside of just hot flashes. Um, and seeing what are the dose optimizations for that. We don't know yet. I know. Isn't that, isn't it amazing that in 2023, 2024, we still don't know optimal dosage for different organ systems? I mean, it is pretty mind blowing. We're guessing. When, you know, (laughs) we're guessing. Um, It's just, it's wild. When you think about training and exercise, do you find that women seem to respond better to high intensity interval training or strength training. Obviously, many people have continued to do cardiovascular activity, but do you find that in your clinical practice, there's one way in which people really move the needle? Uh, It's got to be strength training, but it's really hard. There's so much noise out there as to what's optimal. There's so many predators out there who are preying on these poor women um, who are, are you know, they go in armed with everything I told them. And then these, these trainers are trying to negate everything I said. And, um, and women are, it's so hard to let go of this skinny is the, is where I'm heading. You know, strength over skinny is a really hard concept for people to given all of the lifetime of the mental beat down Mm -hmm. on the number on the scale being the most important thing. I can't tell you the joy I have in some of my patients when I tell them, that they're not obese, they just have a lot of muscle, 
you know, and we don't even discuss their BMI. I never talk about BMI. And we talk about muscle mass. We talk about fat mass. We talk about visceral fat. And so, you know, getting them to let go of burning calories as much, you know, uh, being strong over skinny is really tough. And the women who are able to cross that bridge and, and embrace that, we're seeing the biggest health gains. Yeah. What is the, and obviously I completely agree with you. I wrote a book called Forever Strong, which is all about that skeletal muscle is the organ of longevity. If you were to leave people with three pieces of advice for perimenopause, menopause, please tell me. I know it's only three. Oh, and by the way, after you leave me with those three, I want to talk all about your new book because I cannot <laughs> wait to get a copy. I'm still waiting for my copy, by the way. Um, we, I'll be sending you something in the email very shortly. Um, number one, menopause is inevitable. Suffering is not. So we don't have a consistent way to train our healthcare providers as to menopause care. All I can do is arm you with things to advocate for yourself with evidence and data to advocate for, for yourself and at least point you in the direction of clinicians we know have been helpful to other other of my followers or those certified by the menopause society which is not a guarantee on either direction but it's somewhere to start you cannot assume that the wonderful OB-GYN who did all your well woman care and delivered your babies and you know did contraceptive management and took care of your infections and everything is going to have a clue or any time in their schedule to really devote themselves to menopause care. It's almost impossible because I was that doctor for a long time. And full disclosure, I was a terrible menopause provider for 15 years. Terrible. I'm ashamed. But I didn't know what I didn't know, and I'm here to fix it. And you may have some well-meaning provider who is still stuck in the 2000s as far as what they learned about menopause. And I'm calling out clearly the American Board of OB-GYN, because they are not putting for our yearly certification exams hardly any data for menopause studies to help us as a group of certified OB-GYNs stay up to date with the latest in research. They're just not doing it. Not in 2023. Mm. That, that's important. Okay, Where do advice, you go to? Vitamin D and fiber. Nutrition first. <laughs> Very important. We had a little and bit do of, you prioritize protein? I know there's a little delay. I do now. I do now. So it was not, I mean, it was important, but as far as making it the top thing that I'm trying to, my goal that I'm going to hit for to prioritizing it in my meals, this is something I've been doing since following you. And I'll be honest, uh -huh. my daughter, who's a nutrition science major, is the one who made me start following you. And so <laughs> she found you first. She's now in medical school, by the way, and absolutely amazing. You have got to follow this woman. So that is how I found you. She was sending me all your videos. And, and so it really helped me refocus my thought process on how important the musculoskeletal unit is in, in menopause and, um, and how we could just, just a few simple changes, just increasing that, um, level of protein intake can do so much good for a woman, especially our age. Yes. That's so, so wonderful. Um, tell me about your new book. Tell me all the details. So, I cannot wait to share <laughs> it with my audience. 
my first book was Galveston Diet and, you know, named after my home. And it was nutrition and wellness program for women in midlife and menopause. Um, but that book kind of exploded the conversation where people were like, yeah, that's fine. But, but tell me more. I, what about this frozen shoulder? What about this vertigo? What about all these other symptoms? And it just took me down these rabbit holes. And I realized there's a lot more information I left on the table as far as the medical aspects of menopause. And I feel like there's a, there's a gap in what's available. And I, I, I can fill that gap with a, another book. So the book is called The New Menopause. And it's really something I hope gets into the hands of everyone 35 and older who is struggling or the loved ones, you know, to help them understand, understand this process and what their loved one is going through and how they can be supportive. So the first part is all about the history of menopause and kind of how we've gotten to where we are, why women are dismissed, why we don't have lack of, you know, what's going on in society as far as our views of how women age and, and what our places in society are. And then I get into the, the medical aspects of menopause, what it actually is as far as so that everyone understands what's happening to the ovaries and organ systems when we lose estrogen, progesterone, testosterone. And then we talk about medical hormone replacement therapy, what options are available. I do a deep dive in that so patients feel like they can have a conversation with their healthcare providers. And then the last section is going organ system by organ system, what menopause can do brains, bones, kidney, lungs, vertigo, dry skin, hair, teeth, everything. And what, what the data has shown us so far and where the gaps are. And so what HRT might be helpful with, what other things you can do, supplements, nutrition, exercise, sleep, what we know that they help with. And so at least you have a starting point and we've turned in the manuscript and I could probably write eight more chapters, <laughs> but we had to stop somewhere. I'm sure you felt the same way with your book. So it's really a labor of love. And it's really just a compilation of everything I talk about on social media every day in a readable format. And when is it out? And where can people get it? So, uh, it will be released April 30th. And it's available for pre-order now everywhere you buy books. So Amazon, Barnes & Noble, you know, wherever you buy books, you can find it and pre-order. And and I, I just want to mention to all my listeners is that the pre-order really helps the author. Um, so please, if you found this valuable, I love Mary Claire. I think she's wonderful. I am going to be ordering a handful of copies for myself. And again, it takes a lot of effort and energy to write a book. And when we pre-order the book, it really, really helps the author. So let's all uh, give her support and do that. Mary Claire well, Haver, thank you so much for coming on. And I'm very excited to share you with my audience. You are really an advocate for these changes for women. And um, I know that it's not always easy. And it certainly is not always easy being in the public eye and being in social media and on social media. You are doing a wonderful job and everybody needs to hear what you have to say. And I'm so grateful for you. Thank you so much. And right back at you. If many of my followers are listening, please follow her on social media. Her book is fantastic. Such a wonderful way to think about strength and longevity. And please, please, please support her by um, buying her book as well. You guys better be getting my book. Um, <laughs> until the next time, everybody, thank you so much for joining us. The Dr. Gabrielle Lyon podcast and YouTube are for general information purposes only. 
and do not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. And no patient-doctor relationship is formed. The use of information on this podcast, YouTube, or materials linked from the podcast or YouTube is at the user's own risk. The content of this podcast is not intended to substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice for any medical condition they may have and should seek the assistance of their healthcare professional for any such conditions. This is purely for entertainment and educational purposes only.